Hello, you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see those of you who are here with us in person. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online as well. And just acknowledging that however you are joining us, wherever you may be, however you're partaking in the service this morning, our hope is that you know that you are prayed for, cared for, and loved, like we just heard in the announcement video, um, and that you would, that we, all of us, would be able to receive whatever it is that God has for us this morning. Recognize that we're all coming into this place with different things on our minds, different stresses, different anxieties, different excitements and joys as well. And as we're coming in to this place, we're all coming from different um, dynamics and different places, but we're all here in the same place to be united in our opportunity to worship God and united in our opportunity to dive into God's word. And then United in Community, which is what our series, The Bridge, is all about. And how does it look like for us to build bridges in our relationships with other people to make sure that we are living a life not that is alone, like we talked about last week. We want to make a bridge from life alone to life together. What does it look like for us to open ourselves up to friendships and deeper relationships and to surround ourselves with godly people who would encourage us in our walk with God? We ended the service talking about the idea of being intentional, being consistent, being open, and trying to build those friendships one step at a time. So today, as we talked about the first series, or excuse me, sermon in this series, is about moving from life alone to life together, acknowledging that Even in prison systems, whenever there's a punishment beyond being in prison, it was solitary confinement of isolating people purposefully because we were created for community. Even those of us who are introverts, we were created to spend time with people and to have life-giving relationships. So the removal of relationships is a punishment in prison, and yet for many of us, it is a choice that we make in our walk with God. We often will choose to not open up, to not invite other people in, to not share, and to not build friendships that would encourage us in our relationship with Jesus. And so we talked about that last week, from life alone to life together. Today we're going to talk about a different type of bridge that we're going to unpack today. And the idea is moving from being divided to united. And we're going to, un, we're going to give some ideas from John chapter 17, starting verses 20 through 23. So it's a shorter section, but there's still a lot of, uh, a lot of food for thought, a lot of things that Jesus shares in that that, we, um, that will challenge us, encourage us, um, and hopefully spur us on towards good deeds. Now before I go into the passage itself, to kind of help illustrate the idea of going from being divided to united, I want to give an example of um, just kind of the the state of our country. No, you're not going to hear me talk about our country all day in the sense of we know it's divided. We know there are divisions that are very real. Some of us, we recognize it conceptually that we hear statistics about how divided we are as a nation. Some of us, we experience it relationally, that we've experienced a broken friendship or relationship with a family member over various things. And so whether it's political parties, whether it is financial dynamics, whether it is just people who don't like the same things as us, it's so easy for us 
to be able to fall into our echo chambers, to fall into only hearing things from the same sources, from us only listening to people who have the same points of view, and only doing things to a point where we hear so much the same of what we already believe that it causes us to then make what, what one author says, we otherize other people. In other words, we say, they're the other, they're the wrong, they're the different, we are right. And so here's the thing. Let me, let me caveat this. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. There is no other way to the Father except through him. So I'm not talking about a Unitarianism that says that every belief system is the same. What we're going to unpack today is what happens when people on the same team, what happens when people who love Jesus allow divisions, whether it's through denominational differences, whether it's different interpretations, what happens when we allow divisions to derail the mission of Christ? So our country is divided. You don't need stats. You know it conceptually or relationally. But Maybe you're, you're like me, maybe you're not, but regardless of um, where, where things are in regards to our country, whenever I see events like the Olympics or like the upcoming World Cup, I automat- I'm like, I don't, I don't know who most of these athletes are, but if they're wearing the stars and stripes, I'm going to be rooting for them. Even if it's a sport, I have no idea. I'm like, I learned more about curling about eight months ago than I had ever known because I'm like, oh, they're brushing. and like, oh, like they're very loud. Um, but I'm like, I, didn't, I don't know. I couldn't pick a curler out. Um, that's weird. I don't know what that even means. But I couldn't be able to say, like, this is a curler. It's not... It's acknowledging that I would get all invested and there are curlers or if it's like um, different events in the Summer Olympics when I'm like, oh, I am so in on this diver from the 10-meter dive doing a triple Google. And so it's really cool to be able to see it even when I don't understand anything about it. So if you're aware, the 2020 Olympics were in Tokyo, the Summer Olympics, were pushed back a year. So that happened a year ago. And then the Beijing Winter Olympics happened again about eight months ago, six months ago or so. And so it was this idea that I don't know anything about these athletes, but I get to cheer on as an American who loves being able to support our athletes. I'm like, yes, I get to be able to cheer them on even when I know nothing about them. And so... That's an example of sometimes things like sports can unite us. And one dynamic is real quick before I move on. There are two sports specifically, one in the Summer Olympics and one in the Winter Olympics that I just, I know they're very popular, but I cannot watch them. Uh, One of them is gymnastics and the other is figure skating because I have so much empathy about the journey these athletes have been on. And when I know that there's like one stumble will like ruin their chances, my, my empathy is like I just break for them. So I'm like, you know... Hope you do well, but I just, I can't watch it. It's too much stress. Um, I can't even imagine being in those, not shoes, but skates or bare feet. So with that said, about a couple months ago, I believe it was end of May or June, there was a celebration of our Olympians and Paralympians that happened at the White House. I have a picture of it here when hundreds of Olympians from both the Beijing Summer Olympics and the... Uh, excuse me, the Tokyo Summer Olympics and the Beijing Winter Olympics all came together and they were all able to um, just enjoy this White House visit. And the president shared this quotation about acknowledging the divisions, but sometimes the power sports can have can help us move from being divided to united. The quotation says this, he's speaking to the Olympians and Paralympians. You represent the very soul of America. 
It's been a very divided nation, but you brought us together. No matter the divisions, when we see you compete, we feel a common pride in those three letters, USA. And if that can be true for our nation, with political divides, financial dynamics, all these different things, if that can be true and there's an importance for as Americans to be able to be united and be able to celebrate the three letters USA, friends, how much more important is it for us as Christians to not allow divisions that to build walls between us and other Christ followers, other Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christ followers, how much more important is it for us to break down those walls brick by brick and use those same bricks to build bridges so that we could be united? How much more important is it for us to not give in to only loving the letters? You can still love the letters USA, but how much more important is it for us to be united in sharing the power of the gospel and our love for G-O-D? Will you pray with me as we enter into our sermon this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person who is part of our service, whether they're live in person, live online, listening or watching on demand throughout the week. God, I pray that as we dive into this passage, we're going to have some discussions and topics that might be a little difficult. It might be a little stretching, Lord, but Holy Spirit, may you go before me. May you go before us this morning. I pray that the words that come out of my mouth, may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that as we dive into it, that I would decrease, that you would increase, and that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. So, Lord, may we hear what you have, may we receive what you have for us this morning, and may we be encouraged and spurred on towards good deeds by helping one another in our walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I mentioned, we're going to be in John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. So if you brought your own Bibles, that's where we're going to be. If you want to, don't have a Bible with you, you have the Bible app on your phone, or we have Bibles that are in the seat racks in front of you. We also have the Bible tab, if you're watching online, that you could follow along there as well. And it's only four verses, but in these few verses, there's a lot for us to unpack, to wrestle with, to navigate, and to see Jesus' heart on what was going to be the most difficult night of his life. So what we see is that John 17 is, is often referred to as the high priestly prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus gives at the Garden of Gethsemane. If you know the story of what happens on this final night, he has the Last Supper with his disciples. He washes their feet. Judas leaves because G Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. So Judas goes off to go betray Jesus to the Jewish uh, leaders. He, they end up going, and Jesus says, let's leave here. And he goes, and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying so fervently that sweat, uh, drops of blood are being emanated as he's sweating and perspiring that we start to see that he prays. And then he asks his disciples to pray. He stops, comes back. They're falling asleep. And he says, oh, can't you stay awake with me for one hour? Goes back to pray. And friends, we might wonder, what is it and who is it that he's praying for? Well, John 17 helps us to see. He asks first that God would help him to be able to glorify the Father because he knows his impending crucifixion is mere hours away. Then we also see that he prays for his disciples. He prays for the ones that he spent the several years pouring into and leading and, and walking and doing life with, the ones that he already knows that Judas was gone, but the other 11 were disciples that he had entrusted this beautiful message of salvation through the gospel. And so he's praying for them. 
And then in verses 20 through 26, we're only going to hit on the first few sections there. But in 20, starting in verse 20, he prays for us. He prays for you. He prays for me. And as we'll see in our notes, what Jesus prays for us is important. Like, this is such an important dynamic. And so much so that in his final prayer, what we have recorded is what he asked God the Father to do the night before his death. If you knew you only had 24 hours to live, how would you spend it? Who would you spend time with? What would be the cry of your heart to be able to share with those you love? In the last few hours of his life before his death and resurrection, Jesus prays for us. And it's important. Let's see what the scripture says, starting in verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. Again, the them is referring to the disciples that he just prayed for the previous verses. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. You and I are part of that spiritual lineage going back thousands of years. That, they, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus could have prayed for his disciples to have boldness. He could have prayed that they would have perseverance with the upcoming trials they were going to face. He could have prayed that they would just get lots of money in order to be able to fund the missions trips and the travels they're going to do. He could have prayed that they'd have great memories or be great speakers. Do you know what he prayed for? Before his death, Jesus prays for us to be united. Because if God's people are united, despite the many differences that exist among us, if God's people are united, then it's going to be a more powerful witness than the best speaker or the nicest building or the, most, the podcast with the biggest reach or the biggest social media following or any of these other dynamics that we so often lean to as being powerful for the gospel. Yes, they are and they can be and they should be. But unity, unity trumps them all. Jesus prayed for unity. So let me give an example that's far less important than what we're discussing. I asked uh, Steph recently if um, I talk about sports too much and give illustrations. Um, and she said, maybe, so I'm only going to use two instead of five. And so um, the first one was about the Olympics. The second one is about uh, my beloved San Francisco 49ers. Um, no cheers? Okay, cool. Uh, so San Francisco 49ers, Kyle Shanahan is the head coach. He's the one here. Um, and if you're aware of football, if you're not, I'm going to give you a very quick summary of the past five years in San Francisco 49ers dynamics. What you need to know is in 2017, in the trade deadline, we, I speak about them as if I am part of them, we um, traded a second-round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo, lovingly referred to as Jimmy G., and he got injured a couple of times, but when he's been healthy, one year he was healthy, the 49ers went to the Super Bowl and lost. I'm fine, we're fine. Um, and the second time, we went to the NFC Championship last year and lost. And so he's had success, but the problem with Jimmy G is that he's been unhealthy, he gets injured, like I referred to, but then also he kind of had a ceiling with his potential. Like he's like a solid like B, B plus um, quarterback. And so good, he can win you games, but... Kyle Shanahan, the other leadership in the 49ers, thought, you know, we, we wonder if there's, we know he's a known commodity, 
But what if we got someone who has limitless potential? We don't know how good he will be, but he has the, he has the potential to be like an A+, but we just don't know. He's an unknown commodity. So in the 2021 draft, they traded some extra picks, and they moved up to draft Trey Lance. So here's what's ended up happening is that the 49ers, last year Jimmy Garoppolo did well, but people wanted to see Trey Lance. This year, Trey Lance was named the starter, and Jimmy Garoppolo was, was going to be traded, and eventually he stayed on. Trey Lance gets hurt in the second game. If you're getting tired of this, imagine how they feel. They, he gets hurt in the second game. Jimmy Garoppolo comes in and has been playing pretty decently the past couple weeks. All that to say is that there's division amongst the 49ers fans. That you go and you see some that are like, I'm on Team Jimmy G. I want him to win. I don't care what happens. Others are like, I just want Trey and Trey Area to work out. And so there becomes this division to the point where the um, Super Bowl champion legend, Hall of Fame legend, Steve Young, who's a 49ers quarterback from the 1990s, he wrote this, and he said this, excuse me. We don't need camps of people. Either I'm with Jimmy or I'm with Trey. Like, stop. But when you got the red and gold on, stop. We're in it together. We don't find the mitigating circumstances. We're all in. We're all in with each other. Because there were camps that say, I'm so pro one of them that I want the other person to lose, and I want our team to lose so that I could be proven right. And so it's, it's this idea of it's worth it to us to, for our team to lose just so we can feel right about ourselves. And so there becomes this enmity between these two camps. Again, an unimportant example, but one that we see mirrored in the story of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter, starting in verse in chapter 1. When he talks about this, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? So there were people in the early church at Corinth who were saying, listen, I follow this person. And like, oh, I love the way Paul, Paul, man, you write things so well and you, you just, you're such good person at being able to write and explain things. This is wonderful. Others are like, I love Peter, man. He may put his foot in his mouth sometimes, but he tells it like it is and he loves Jesus and that's amazing. And others, I'm sorry, Peter is Cephas in there just to make that connection. And others say, oh, I follow Apollos. And Paul talks about how Paul planted the seeds Apollos waters the seeds with teaching, but it's God who brings about the growth. And yet, the Corinthian church were breaking themselves and separating themselves into different camps. No, they're not saying, I'm Team Jimmy and I'm Team Jimmy G, or Trey Lance. They're saying, I'm Paul. I identify with Paul. Or I identify with Cephas, or I identify with Apollos. And yet, others are just like, I identify with Christ. That it's easy to divide ourselves amongst our favorites, but Jesus is what ought to unite us. Is Christ divided? This idea is not, is Christ um, conflicted within himself? It's not this idea of he doesn't know which way to go. It's the idea of, has Christ and his message been separated and divvied up and sent? So some of that goes to Paul, and some goes to Cephas, and some goes to Apollos, and some stays with Christ. It's his message and his life, death, and resurrection separated? Is it divided? And the answer is no. That 
I say, like, hey, I'm a Timothy Keller guy. I, li- I like reading his books. Or I'm a C.S. Lewis guy. I like what he has to say. But I'm not a Timothy Keller guy or a C.S. Lewis guy or a Pete Scazzaro guy more than I am a Jesus guy. And some of you may say, oh, I don't even like Timothy Keller. That's fine. If we love Jesus, we're on the same team. You may say, I don't like this author or that. That's okay. Because what unites us, the life, death, resurrection, the hope of the gospel, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, laid down his life for us, that we knew no, or he knew no sin so that we could be, that he would become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The fact that we can't earn it, we can't deserve it, we can't get ourselves right perfectly and then say, God, will you love me now? No, no, no. We are loved by God. We are his children. And I'm pretty sure in the same way that I dislike it when my girls argue, I'm sure God hates it when his kids are divided. That there are more denominations under the banner of Christianity than there are divisions in any other religion. Friends, as a church, maybe not Pomerado Christian church, but as the church, As Christ followers, as the ones he's praying for in verse 20, we as a church, the big capital C church, we've missed the boat so often on the desire for unity that Jesus had at the end of his life. And so let me be clear. I'm not saying that we need to get rid of theology or that there aren't different ways to interpret things, but we look to God's word and What this says to determine how we live our lives, how we interpret scripture, what that looks like. We don't follow man-made religion or other things. There's only one way and one truth and one life. And so if there are faith systems that claim Jesus but are outside of God's word, I'm not referring to them. But I'm referring to those of us who know and love Jesus. But there's just a different denomination or a different way they go about it. So here's why this is important. See, What Jesus prays for us is important, but why Jesus prays for, why he prays for unity for us is mission critical. This is a verbiage that Andy Stanley, I guess I would call myself an Andy Stanley guy as well, but this is a verbiage that Andy Stanley has said in different podcasts where he says, what is it that is so important, that is so critical to the mission that without it, the mission can be derailed and ultimately fail? Now, I, um, one of the things I want to be is I want to be a God's son, I want to be a good husband, I want to be a good father, I want to be a good pastor, friend, all those things. When it comes to being a good father, one of the things that I know that it is an honor to be able to wear or to have the name father, knowing that how I interact and how I can be with my girls can reflect either positively or unfortunately at times negatively on God the Father. I want to make sure that I do a good job as best as I can in my own human imperfections to be a good dad. And so there are times in which one of the things that's so important is to be able to, you know, maybe establish trust and to be able to speak into um, their lives. And in order to do that, you have to establish trust early on. So I remember when Shailen was about three, maybe four years old, there was a time when at our old house uh, up in L.A. County, we'd have some stairs, and so I'd stand at the foot of the stairs, and she would ask if I would catch her. And so, like, at the second stair, it's kind of more just her falling, and I'm just holding. Like, she's not jumping, right? Then she gets to the third stair, and I'm right here, ready to go. She jumps, and I catch her. She goes to the fourth stair. She's like, Daddy, are you going to catch me? I'm like, yes, honey, I'm going to catch you. She jumps, and I catch her. The fifth stair, my, these aren't big stairs, so don't, you know, don't, don't be worried. But I'm right here, fifth stair. She's like, okay, I'm going to jump. 
she jumps, and I catch her. In that moment, when I want to be a good dad who's trustworthy to her, that she knows she can look at and rely on, whether it's jumping off of a stair or when things get difficult throughout her life, it's important for her to know she can trust me. I love moments like clar- of clarity like this as a parent because what ends up happening is I know there is nothing more important in my life in this moment than catching my girl. And so I'm not worried about stressors at work. I'm not worried about my to-do list that needs to get done. I'm not worried about friendships that aren't where I want them to be. I'm not worried about family relationships that are struggling. I'm not worried about anything or anyone else. My eyes are locked on my girl, and I say, I'm going to catch you. And there's nothing more important than that in this moment. It is critical to the mission of being a trustworthy dad is to let her know she can jump, and I will have her in my hands. Imagine what would happen. And if she goes up third stair, you're going to catch me. Fourth stair, you're going to catch me. Fifth stair, you're going to catch me. Yes, honey, I'm going to catch you. And as her feet leaves the stair, my phone goes off. I'm so, so sorry. Can you wait for a second? And she falls. It would eradicate trust. It would eradicate that moment. I thought you were going to catch me. And I'm like, oh, well, honey, you're important. But, you know, my, my, my phone's more important than you. Maybe I don't say that, but is that how she sees it? So in that moment, it's mission critical that I catch my girl. Friends, John John 20, excuse me, 17, starting in verse 20, shows us that it's mission critical. It is that important that Jesus, in the final prayer before his death, that we have recorded this lengthy prayer, prays for us to be united. That's important. But why is mission critical? It is tantamount and paramount to the importance of the gospel. And here's why? See, in uh, one of the devo- uh, commentaries I read puts it this way. Go and put the quote on the screen here. It says, this is the message that the disciples both then and now, that's us, are to present to the hostile world. God sent Jesus, and Jesus sent us to the world. This is the gospel. This is God loved us so much. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then he entrusted that message to, at this point, 11 inner disciples who became apostles and then a growing band of apostles, or disciples as well to share the gospel and to spread it across the ends of the earth. It's the mission of the church is to fulfill the Great Commission and to love with the greatest commandments, to love God and love people. The same, um, the same commentator says it this way, That mission must be central to all discussions of oneness. We don't want to be one just so we could feel good about ourselves. We are one because it is critical to the mission of the gospel, and it allows a broken world to see what a right relationship with God can do in our relationship with him and with our relationships with those who know and love him as well. So let's go to the scripture. We read the first 20 and verse part of 21. Here's the second part of verse 21 and verse 22. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We'll actually stop here. Why is unity amongst Christians mission critical? Because when Christians are united, as we go to the next slide, when Christians are united, it shows the world Jesus was sent by God. 
He said that so people would know that I have been sent by you. That's Jesus' prayer. He puts a lot of stock in the veracity or, or, or the fact that people would believe in his message based on how well we get along. He says that the whole world would know that Jesus was sent by God based on how his people get along. Because it would be easy for us and, and, and a misnomer for us to think, well, things were just simpler back then. There, there are definitely things that are more difficult now. However, the divisions that existed 2,000 years ago are divisions that we can still see here and now. We see Paul talk about the, the need for oneness and the removal of division in Galatians 3, verses 26 through 28 on the screen. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have, who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's leave this up for a moment because there were different divisions that were naturally coming about in the early church. The first that he gives an example of here is Jew versus Gentile, those who grew up with a Jewish background and then realized that Jesus was the Messiah for whom they had been waiting. And so they then would, whenever someone new would come to follow Jesus as Messiah, the Jewish Christians would want them to go about the same food restrictions, circumcision, the same rites or the same rituals that happened before. But then there were the Gentiles who had not, did not have that cultural background or religious background, and they said, we, we, don't, we don't need to do all that. And so Paul speaks into that argument as well. But here's the idea. None of those, whether our cultural or historical background, should not divide us. There is no Jew nor Gentile. We are united in Christ. There's neither slave nor free. Now, this is not how we think of slavery from our country's history. This is the idea of slavery of someone who was poor enough that they could not pay off their debts. And so they would hire themselves out as indentured servants in order to get the money back and then eventually be able to pay their debts and get free again. So it's a different type of slavery than what we think of. But here's the point. In the same way that there's no cultural difference, there ought not to be any difference financially. Those who are really poor, who had at that time to go into um, indentured servanthood in order to uh, make ends meet, or the ones who are rich enough to be able to have indentured servants, both of those, there should be no division. We are all in Christ. And then lastly, there is no male and female. That doesn't mean we, have different, we don't have different roles what it does mean is that in a culture and society that for thousands of years devalued the, the role of women, Jesus lifted women up. And he, women were the first witnesses when it came to the resurrection, which if you were someone who was trying to make up a story and create a fable and to be able to make your, your hero look good in that time, you wouldn't have women, based on the view they had of them then, you wouldn't have women be your witnesses. So the fact that women were the first witnesses, it elevates them as the ones, the first apostles who were able to go and the first ones who were able to talk about and share Jesus is risen. And so there's no male or female. We have different roles, but not any less value. See, Paul is breaking them all down, saying we are all one in Christ. All the things that look like they may divide us ought not to do so because all those things that we find to divide us pale in comparison to the power of the uniting and unifying love of God. 
Not our past history, religious or cultural. Not our financial circumstance. None of those things should separate us from being united in Christ Jesus. Because that which divides us pales in comparison to he who unites us. We continue on a quotation from one of the, devotion, or the commentaries I read. is As the display of genuine love amongst the believers attests that they are Jesus' disciples. This comes from John 13, 34 through 35, which says, The world will know you by how you love one another. So this display of unity is so compelling, so unworldly, that their witness as to who Jesus is becomes explainable only if Jesus truly is the revealer whom the Father has sent. You can't fake this kind of unity back then. And we can't fake this kind of unity now. It's when Jesus has come into our lives and he's changed us from the inside out, we recognize that that which divides us, the walls that we build, are not nearly as powerful as the bridge that he made for us. And we recognize that we don't have to agree about everything. No one agrees about everything. But what we agree on and who we agree on is everything. We follow Jesus. So here's where we continue on, that we recognize that Jesus' prayer for unity is mission critical because people would see that he's sent by God by how his people would love one another throughout the generations. But I want to read the last couple of verses, and then we're going to look at the last reason why it's mission critical. Verse 22, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Think about that. We are called to be as unified and as one, as connected, as, as um, intimately connected as God is with the Father is with God the Son. And the Holy Spirit, it's, it's, we're supposed to be that united. Different, but united. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So... Us being united shows the world that we realize we've been loved by God. Because we're not searching for love from anyone or, any, or anywhere else. We've been so changed and radically moved by the love of God that we see that now we cannot help but be different. See, when Christians are united, it shows the world that God loves his church. He loves his people. He loves them enough to help us to confront the ways and the walls which we build to separate us from other believers. He loves us enough to help break down those walls so we can build a bridge. So we'll, we'll leave this on this slide for a moment because there's a, a, um, a dynamic of which I want to acknowledge and, and maybe wrestle with for a moment together, if, you, if you'll allow me. Earlier on when I was talking about the Olympians, right, and the Paralympians, and quoted what the president had said a few months ago. I wonder, I don't need a show of hands, or I wonder if there are some that might feel a little uncomfortable that we were quoting a president because some of us have different political beliefs than him. Others have some that are similar. And there are people within our church who love Jesus who are on either side of the political spectrum. Some of us might think, well, there's no way that someone could love Jesus and vote the opposite way of us. And so I wonder if there's that tension where we automatically, even earlier in the message, we feel like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think that was, you know, a good idea. But here's why that's part of 
the point of this message is that Jesus, when he picked his 12, when he picked them, he picked people who were different. He picked fishermen. He picked people who were tax collectors. He picked people who were business owners. He had people that we don't know much about. But here's what he did. He specifically had two people who were on the exact opposite side of a political spectrum. We had Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were a group of Jewish people who were so passionate, zealot, the idea of being zealous, were so passionate about following God's word and wanting to see the Messiah come and sit on an earthly throne here on earth that they would commit what would be considered terrorist or militaristic acts against the government, the Roman government, in order to assassinate people or hurt people so that they could have a Messiah come and sit on the throne, to overthrow the Romans so that they could be sitting, a Jewish king would rule over Israel. And while there's Simon the Zealot, on the other side of the political spectrum is Matthew the tax collector, someone who was Jewish as well, but someone who would work for that evil government, someone that would tax his own people, make a profit, and then give money to the Roman government. So it's not just someone who is okay with the government, but was like, actively a part of it and putting the needs of himself over the care for his own people. I mean, you cannot get any further politically than Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. John MacArthur in his book, 12 Ordinary Men, unpacks this dynamic when he says this. Of course, as one of the 12, Simon also had to associate with Matthew who was at the opposite end of the political spectrum, collecting taxes for the Roman government. At one point in his life, Simon would probably have gladly killed Matthew. In the end, they became spiritual brethren, working side by side for the same cause, the spread of the gospel, and worshiping the same Lord. So no matter where we are politically, the point becomes... Jesus supersedes all. The idea is that we want to make sure that if Jesus could have political extremes within his inner group, that we can have friendships and build relationships with people who think differently than us. And if they are people who know and love Jesus as well, then the love that we have for Jesus and for one another supersedes an affiliation to a political party or to a financial system, or to any of these other things, that Jesus and our love for him ought to unite us where the world would long to divide us. Because when God's people are united, it shows that they've been changed by the love of God. The only thing that could change Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector in order to become spiritual brethren is that they realize that God loves them so much, and their love for God after receiving love from him Their love for God is reciprocated and shown to the world by loving their enemies and praying for those who would oppose them and building relationship with those who are opposite. doesn't mean they try to convince each other either way. It means that the love of Jesus superseded all, that despite what might want to divide them, Jesus is the great unifier. And I want to ask you as we close, if you can think about the time in your life that you realize that Jesus, that God's love for you, 
Like it was so real that like the Holy Spirit song we sang earlier, that we could taste and see the goodness of God and the sweetest of loves. Can you think about that moment when the gospel became real? It wasn't about your good grades. It wasn't about your success in your career. It wasn't about the networks of friendships that you would build. It was not about the house that you live in, the neighborhood that you stay in, the, 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 the amount of money in your bank account. It wasn't about you presenting yourself as perfect. It wasn't about you trying to get your act together. It was you just surrendering and laying down your life to Jesus and realizing that he loves you. He loves you even though none of us are perfect. And we never can be sinless and perfect. However, he loves you because you're his. And how deep the love the Father has lavished upon us that we may be called children of God. And that is what we are. When that moment in your life that Christ's love for you, you realize that it was unconditional rather than conditional. If we allow that love to change us, then it means that we too can love other people without condition. We don't have our own boxes and otherize them. We love one another. We pray for one another. We carry one another's burdens. We forgive one another. We encourage one another. We spur one another on towards good deeds. And there are people, either conceptually, culturally, or Relationally, personally, we know what it's like to have a relationship with people break down because of things like this. And it's someone who knows and loves Jesus, and we know that we ought to know and love them as well. What would it look like if you and I decided that if there's someone that we have, a brother that, or sister we have an issue with, that we would reach out to them and take a step towards taking down the bricks that we built our walls with, and we use that as a foundation to build our bridges. Because, friends, it's mission critical for us to be one. In fact, it says it this way, oneness is a means to enable the world to realize what God has been doing. The marvelous message is that God sent Jesus on an important mission to the world, and that he not only loved his beloved son, but that he also loved the train of disciples who are fulfilling that continuing mission to the world. In other words, verse 23 shows us that God loves us the same way he loves Jesus. With the same passion, the same depth, the same intimacy that he loves Jesus. He loves you. Jesus was sinless. He's perfect, fully God, fully man. And yet we are fully broken. And God loves us because it's not about our resume. It's not about what we can do and our accomplishments that we present. It's about what Jesus has done on the cross. So that when he said, it is finished... It's the saving work on the cross, and it also can point to our desire to earn our love is finished. Because he took it upon himself and gave us the love of God. And when that takes hold of us, when God's love changes us from the inside out, we cannot help but share that love with others around us. And the world can see that even though there's divisions, whether it's culturally, whether it's financially, whether it's politically, whatever it may be, that when God's people come together despite their differences and sing praises to God and follow Jesus with their whole lives, that shines 
like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. It's a light that you do not hide under a basket. It's a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. It allows for us to speak into a broken world and to show that wholeness does not come from other belief system or any other idol. It comes from the relationship with God through Jesus Christ as embodied by his broken people, imperfect people who are preaching about a perfect God to a broken world. And we have the opportunity to invite people into that to help them move from being divided to united, but even more so in the words of Jesus, for us, those of us who follow God, to put what unites us and who unites us above the multiple things that can divide us. Because when we do that, the world will take note, the world will believe, and we give, all the God, give God all the honor and the glory and praise for the unity that only he can provide. It's a lot easier for us to build walls. But friends, may I encourage, challenge myself and us to build a bridge with other believers, regardless of denominational or any other division, help us to build a bridge so that we as God's people across this world would move from being divided to united. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who is part of our service today. And recognizing, Lord, that we're talking about some difficult topics and it can be um, hard for us to navigate. And it's hard to be able to to think through of all the ways that um, we can be divided. But, Lord, I pray that starting with me but with all of us, Lord, that we would not allow that which can divide us to do so. But instead that we would be united with, uh, with one another and united with other Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, God-following Christians, regardless of denomination or differences that we can find. Lord, may we shine for you. So, Lord, I thank you so much for each person here, and I pray that you would continue to work in and through us. And may we be united so that those who are far from you would be united with you through the testimony of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember, you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.